are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, open your Bible to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 6 and 7. I share with you tonight a story that I would not believe if I did not see it in the Bible. And even after I read it in the Bible, I find it very difficult to believe. I think you'll find it difficult to believe also. I begin reading tonight in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. We'll read several verses, skip some verses, go to chapter 7, read several verses there. And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cap of doves dung for five pieces of silver. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor, out of the wine press. And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give thy son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. And it came to pass, when the king heard the words of the woman, that he rent his clothes, and he passed by upon the wall, and the people looked. And behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Now drop down in chapter 7 to verse 3. And there were four leprous men at the entering end of the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come, and let us fall under the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall but live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they arose in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a great noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight, and left their tents, and their horses, and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent, and did eat and drink, and carried thence silver and gold and raiment, and went and hid it, and came again and entered into another tent. And carried thence also, and went and hid it. 
Then said they one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. And now let us bow our heads for prayer. Well, our Heavenly Father, I believe with all my ransomed soul that you allowed your Son to die on the cross for all men, that all men might be saved. And I believe you blessed us with the awesome responsibility of carrying the good news of the gospel to every creature in the world. And I tremble when I think at how far short we've come at such a great responsibility. When I think of the over two billion people in the world who do not even know the name of Jesus. And I think of the 70% of the people of the world who have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Who would not know how to be saved if they wanted to be saved. And I tremble. What an awesome responsibility for me to stand here tonight with all the money spent and all the people here and not be a blessing and challenge and help to these people. I pray tonight that there will be nothing to distract or, or in any way to interrupt the service. I pray that every ear shall be open for the word of God and that every heart shall be receptive. I pray tonight that if someone has his mind on something else, that now you will arrest his attention. I'm not a good speaker. I, I'm a little bit intimidated about that. I think I know how George Whitfield must have felt when he prayed, Dear Lord, someday I'll be like thee. If I'll be like thee someday, why not now when I can be a blessing to the most people? I wish I had my glorified body tonight. I think I'd give up several years of life to know that I could preach tonight with my glorified body, knowing as I am known, being like the Savior in compassion and thought and wisdom and ability. But I don't have that. What I have, I yield to you. And I pray tonight with all my ransomed soul that this will be an hour, an hour when lives are changed, when people leave differently. Those who are tired, I pray you'll rest their bodies some way miraculously and give us the attention of everyone here and make this a glorious and grand opening service. Thank you for the message on the blood, the good singing. And as I bring this closing message in this session, help me to do my best. I yield the best I know how. If you'll show me how to yield better, I'll yield. But so far as I know, I'm yielded the best I know how for the Spirit's control of my life. Help me to thank my thoughts after thee and to say what I ought to say, and if possible, to say it in the very manner in which it ought to be said. In Jesus' name, amen. I mentioned earlier, here's a story I would not believe if I did not see it in the Bible. Let me kindly rehearse the story with you and then give you the sermon. King Ben-Hadad of Syria had besieged the city of Samaria. He had encircled the city. He sealed the city off. I suppose his idea was, if I seal the city off and cut off all the traffic, no one can go down into the city and no one can get out, and sooner or later all the food will be gone. After a few days or weeks or, or at least after some time, 
a famine will come. And when they get so hungry down the city of Samaria, they'll come out of the city. And when they come out, we'll go inside the gates of the city and we'll take the city. That was his strategy. And it was working for him. The famine did come down to the city of Samaria, and the famine was so great that they were paying 80 pieces of silver for an ass's head. Now, I've been hungry in my life. I've been very hungry. But I have never been hungry enough to even think about eating a donkey's head if they gave it to me free. But here's people down in Samaria paying 80 pieces of silver for an ass's head. Maybe they were putting it in a pot of water and boiling it and making a soup out of it. I do not know. I read this and I say that couldn't be true. And yet it's in the Bible. It has to be true because the Bible is God's Word. But it got worse. It got so bad that a quarter cap of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. I can't visualize it. I can't imagine it. But people were actually so hungry, they were scraping dove's dung, I suppose, off of the walkways or whatever. And they'd collect a cap, a quarter of a cap, which is about a pint jar full of dove's dung. They were selling that for five pieces of silver. That's how bad the famine was down in Samaria. But it got worse. What I'm going to tell you now, I, I really find it difficult to believe. It got so bad that two ladies said, we'll eat our children. And they agreed that one day they'd eat one lady's son, and the next day they'd eat the other lady's son. And they went through on the agreement. And believe it or not, the Bible says that they actually boiled one lady's son and ate him. Now, that's, that's being hungry, and that's a terrible, terrible famine. And the next day, they were supposed to boil the other lady's son and eat him, but the lady hid her son. And when the king passed by, he heard this woman wailing or yelling, and she cried, Help, O Lord, my king, and he stopped. He said, What aileth thee? And she told him this story. And the king was so burdened about it, he walked by up on the wall and, and had inside of his garment sackcloth within upon his flesh. He was so burdened about it. We think our drought in this country is bad. We don't know nothing. We think we're dying over in East uh, Middle Tennessee because we haven't had a rain in three months there to amount to anything. But here they are eating their own children, and many starving to death because they refuse to eat their children. And would not eat an ass's head or dove's dung. That's how bad it was. Now, keep that picture in your mind. That's what's happening down inside the city of Samaria. The walls are around the city. And up here outside the city is a circle of soldiers, the Syrian army, the host of Syria. Now, outside the city gates of Samaria were four leprous men. Evidently, they had been thrown out of the city because of their leprosy. People inside the city where the great famine was didn't want the lepers there, so they ran them outside the city, and they were sitting outside the city and just thinking and talking to one another. Visualize four lepers, if you will. I, it's a pitiful sight. I've seen lepers. 
I've seen them with an ear missing, with an with a entire cheek missing. I've seen them with a hand missing. I've had missionaries tell how the lepers with no hands and no feet come crawling to the services on little nubs. And here are four lepers eat up with leprosy sitting outside the city, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we sit here, we're going to die here with lepers. If we go back down inside the city where the famine is, we'll but die there of starvation with the others. If we go up here at the hill where the Syrian soldiers are, they will but kill us. But let's not sit here till we die. And so these lepers have made a, made a decision that they would approach the Syrian army. And so they began to move slowly up toward where the Syrian soldiers were. In the meantime, God had caused the Syrian army to hear a great noise. It wasn't just a noise, it was an unusual noise. He had caused them, according to chapter 7 and verse 60, the noise of a great host, an army. He caused the Syrian soldiers to hear the noise of chariots and of horses. And the king of Syria, when he heard this noise of horses and chariots and a great army or a host, there was no army, there was no host, there was no chariots, there were no horses. God made them hear a noise like that. When he heard that noise, he said to his men, the king of Israel and the king of, of the Hittites and Egyptians have hired hosts. Israel has, he's hired the Egyptians and the others to come in and fight against us, and we're about to lose our life, and they believe that. And they were so frightened that they rose up in the twilight and fled for their lives. They left everything they had except was what's on their back. They left food enough in those tents for an army, a Syrian army. They left gold and silver and all kinds of valuable garments. They left prize Arabian horses tied up. And they left their asses all tied up at the camp, and they fled for their lives. To the surprise of these four leprous men, when they walked into the camp, and under the first tent they saw no man, the whole army had fled. But rather than seeing an enemy soldier, they saw tables spread with food. Imagine just coming out of a city where they're eating their own children, they're so hungry. Imagine coming out of a city where they paid five pieces of silver for a pint jar of doves dung to eat. I don't think you can get a mental picture of how hungry these lepers were. And all of a sudden they saw all the food they could possibly eat. And they sat down and began to eat, and they ate, and they ate. They ate and they could not eat another bite. And when they could eat no more, they decided they'd store some away for the future. Some kind of a retirement program in case we live a few more years. And so they began to gather up the gold and silver off the tables and they went and hid it. The Bible doesn't say where they hid it. I imagine they dug holes and hid it in the ground. They went to another tent, got more gold and silver and more precious garments, went and hid it. When they were satisfied that they had all they wanted to eat, and that they had hid enough for anything they may want in the future, they sat down and began to digest what they had eaten. I imagine they felt like we feel after a big meal, comfortable, happy, a little sleepy maybe. 
And they're sitting there and they're thinking, my, how fortunate we are. We have all we can ever wish to eat. We've ate up enough for anything we may need in the future. And suddenly in verse 9, they look at each other and they begin to think. And they say something that when I heard it and when I read it, it hit me like a bolt of lightning. It just jarred me. They said in verse 9, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. Do you have the picture? Do you see the picture? Not far down the hill inside the city walls are Samaritans dying of starvation. Every night scores are dying. They're eating their own children. They're eating doves, dung, and ashes head. And right out here, just above the city, almost, I suppose, inside of the city, it's plenty for everybody to eat. Nobody need go hungry. These lepers eat all they want, and suddenly they realize this is not good. We do not well, they said. This day is the day of good tidings. What was the good tidings? The good tidings was you people down in Samaria do not have to starve to death. The good tidings was nobody has to go hungry. The good tidings was there's bread enough and to spare for everybody in Samaria. Everybody has all they need from now on. Come and get it. And so they said it's not very wise that we sit here and keep this information to ourselves. Now I want to ask you something. What would you have thought of these lepers if they, if they said, well, after all, they threw us outside the city. They didn't want us inside the city and it's good enough they starved. What would you think of these lepers if they stayed out there, enjoyed all that food, and allowed women inside those city walls a few yards away to continue eating their children, dying of starvation? What would you think of those four lepers? Well, I'll tell you what I think of them. I would think they're very wicked men. I would think they're very selfish men. I would say those men, if they would not tell the other folks about the food and allow them to starve to death, that they were responsible for the deaths of everybody who starved to death down in Samaria. I would say, I would say there are murderers just as much so as if they had taken a gun inside Samaria and shot every man in Samaria in cold blood. Because they knew where the food was, they knew there was plenty of food, and they wouldn't tell anybody about it. What would you think of somebody who found a real cure for cancer? I mean, a genuine cure, and, uh, and the cure was so complete that if a man took the medicine, he not only was cured of cancer, but he was guaranteed he'd never have cancer again, that he may die, but he'd never die of cancer. Suppose a fellow found that cure, but he never told anybody about it. He said, I'm going to keep this from me and my family. And 40 years from now, the fellow dies, and we found out he had this cure. What do you think ought to be done to a fellow like that? If he is still alive, if he had not died, I would say the man ought to be electrocuted. Now, you're not saying amen, but I don't need that to know that I'm telling you the truth. I'd say a man that let little boys die with leukemia and little girls die with leukemia when he had a cure for leukemia is a murderer. I'd say a man that let old women suffer in, in the nursing home and in the hospitals and old men suffer of cancer and die and watch children stand by and watch them slowly die inch by inch and go through a little hell on earth as their loved ones suffer and die in a hospital. When he had a cure, I'd say that's the most wicked man I know of anywhere in the world. 
Why? Because he had a he had good news, but he wouldn't share the good news. Now, if you feel that way about men who had a cure for cancer and wouldn't share it. If you feel that way about these lepers who had the good news of where the food is and wouldn't tell anybody about it. Let me tell you something else I want to get across. I wonder what God thinks of us. We're a fundamental Bible-believing, Lord-loving, Spirit-filled believers. If there is a cream of the crop in the Christian world, we are the cream of the crop in the Christian world. I don't say that piously. I say that out of conviction that the, the fundamental Bible-believing, Spirit-filled Christians are the best Christians in the world. This institution is among the greatest institutions in the world. The training people get here is unbelievable. There is not a man in this congregation tonight, I dare say there's a man here, or a woman or a child, who does not know enough of the Bible to take the Bible and show somebody how to be saved. If I said, who is the bread of life, everybody could answer, Jesus Christ. If I said, if you eat the bread of life, would you live or die? And you would quickly say, you'll live forever, eat the bread of life. You know the message, and you know where to find the verses in the Bible, and yet all around us are men dying of starvation without Jesus Christ. If these lepers never told the Samaritans about the food food that was available, the men only died a physical death. If they were saved, they went to heaven. But if you and I who know the gospel... Do not share this gospel with those who do not know Jesus Christ and they die. It's an irretrievable loss. They not only die a physical death, they die a spiritual death. They suffer the second death. They go into hell and they go into fire and they burn forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and they never get out. And we're sitting here, and we know where the food is. We know the bread of life. We know the gospel by memory. Today we passed hundreds of people on the street who've never heard about Jesus Christ. Today we passed people at McDonald's and Hardee's and the other restaurants you may have stopped at, and you never left the gospel track. I wonder what God thinks of us in light of the Great Commission when he said before he left this world, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and no generation has ever evangelized the world since Jesus left here. And we're no closer to it today than we've ever been in my lifetime or anything I've ever read about. We're getting further and further and further away. And you know why we are? Because we knew knew, knew who know the Bible best are saying the least about it. We're sitting around, sitting around, afraid we'll pick one green. Uh, afraid we might get a false profession. Uh, afraid he might join somebody else's church. Uh, afraid he might give a tithe to somebody else's congregation rather than mine. I'm afraid we have the mental attitude, if I can't get him in my church and get his tithe and let him die and go to hell, I don't want him saved. I'm afraid our motivation for getting people saved is all wrong. You don't win souls to Christ to get them in your church. You win souls to Christ to keep them out of hell. You don't win souls to Christ to get another dollar in the offering plate. You win souls to Christ to get another soul into heaven. We need to wake up. 
I wonder what we'll tell God when we face Him at the judgment seat of Christ. And we've been taught the Bible. We're fundamental, premillennial. I mean, we're as straight as a gun barrel. We're separatists. We're everything else. But we're letting folks die and go to hell all around us. And if I ask you to stand, if you led a soul to Christ in the last week, I'd be ashamed. And you would too at how many stood in this congregation. I heard Dr. Lee Robertson say over an effort of Pennsylvania that that he doubted that 5% of the members of Highland Park Baptist Church have ever led a soul to Christ. Now, that is not just a church. That is one of the great churches in America. Forty years, Dr. Robertson pastored that church and baptized over 1,500 converts every year for more than 40 years. That's a soul winning church. No church that I know of in my lifetime I ever read about baptized 1,500 converts a year for 40 years. And yet in a, in a church winning that many people to Christ, Dr. Robinson said only 5% had ever led a soul to Christ. What about the other 95%? Well, somebody said, God didn't call me to win souls. Well, I, I beg your pardon, sir. Soul winning is not a calling. Soul winning is a responsibility, a God-given responsibility. It is not an option. It's an obligation. You ask like saying, God didn't call me the tithe. God didn't call me to get baptized. That's a command. You do it because he said do it, not because you feel like it or feel called. And Jesus plainly said in John 15, verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And finish the verse. And ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And I should remind you that the fruit of a Christian is not love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and gentleness. That's the fruit of the Spirit when the Christian spirit fills. The fruit of a Christian is other Christians. Proverbs 11.30 said, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Oh, if I could just load all this crowd up tonight on these greyhound buses that brought you in here. And if I can have the bus drivers drive this entire congregation into hell, including all the folks on the platform and myself, I'd be on the first bus. If I could drive you all into hell and drive you around hell and let you out and stay ten minutes in hell and bring you back, you wouldn't need a sword compass. There'd be people drawing money out of banks and everything else. You'd be setting stocks and bonds and furniture and everything else to get your loved ones saved. There'd be people boarding planes tonight and flying across the country to see your daddy that's without Jesus Christ, making sure you got him saved. And nobody would be saying, well, I'm afraid I may get a false profession. You'd be after getting your loved ones saved if you went to hell and stayed there ten minutes. But hell is just as real as if you did go there. Here's these lepers. We look at us. If they said, we do not well, this is the day of good tidings, I feel like all of us should stand and say, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings. What is our tidings? Our tidings is, sinner, Jesus loves you. Our tidings is, sinner, you don't have to go to hell. Our tidings is, sinner, Jesus Christ died to pay your sin debt and he paid it in full. There's nothing else to pay. Our tidings is, all you got to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shall be saved. Our tidings is, and your house can be saved just like you are saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. How simple the message. But how sure the message. And how scriptural the message.
And yet we pass people by every day of our life and say, well, I'm not a soul winner myself. I, I don't have the gift of soul winning. Soul winning is not a gift. One man has as much responsibility to lead a soul to Christ as does any other man. Heard Dr. Bob Jones Sr. preaching on Ephesians chapter 4, I think verse 15 and 6, no, verse 11 and 12. Where he said he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, verse 11. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building of the body of Christ. And let's get that verse 3. That does not say for the edifying of the believer or the individual Christian. That says for the edifying or building of the body of Christ. The only way you edify or build the body of Christ is to get sinners saved. Every time you lead a soul to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit baptizes that individual into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we bond uh, Jews or Greeks, bond or free. When I lead a man to Jesus Christ, at that moment the Holy Spirit places him into the body of Christ. Thus the body is being built. I lead another man to Christ, the Holy Spirit places him into the body of Christ, thus the body is being built. Until someday when the body is complete, the trumpet will sound and Christ will come for it, and that's the rapture of the church. If you're premillennial. If you're not, the trumpet sounds and Christ comes for it, and you turn premillennial at the rapture. The only way to edify, build the body of Christ is getting people saved, getting people saved, getting people saved, getting people saved. We're not talking about building individual Christians. We've got too many fat spiritual Christians now who sit around and do nothing. They're like these fat, they're like these fat cats I see in people's houses, just fed, 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 never chase a mouse. Remind me a lot of Baptist church, but it's full of the Bible. From one Bible class to another Bible class, know everything about props and lot is not to be known about it. Know why the Lord's coming in 1988 and everything else. Come on, man, don't go to sleep on me. And never do anything. Sam Jones had a meeting, he called it a quitting meeting, and he said, now if you're going to quit something, stand and tell what you're going to quit. One fellow said, I'm going to quit my cussing. He said, down. The other guy said, I've been drinking a little bit. I'm going to quit my drinking. He said, down. The other guy said, I hadn't been treating my wife right. I'm going to quit treating her like I'm treating her and start treating her right. He said, down. Another old lady stood and said, I ain't been doing nothing. Now I'm going to quit. <laughs> and I'm looking at a lot of fundamental Bible-believing Christians ain't been doing nothing. And you ought to quit. You go to church and like these lepers, you eat and you eat and you make your spiritual notes and you got notebook after notebook full of the Bible. You got sermons after sermon, lesson after lesson. You're just eating and eating and eating. And all around you men are dying and going to hell because they don't know John 3, 16 and what it means. The problem is not a lack of knowledge on our part. The problem is just pure unadulterated laziness on our part. If the average businessman worked no harder than the average preacher, he'd be bankrupt in six weeks' time. <clears throat> You're welcome. That's my introduction.
Now, I want you to look at these messengers. In the first place, they had an unbelievable message. I didn't read the entire passage. I, I didn't take time. But if I'd read the entire passage, you would have discovered that when they went down inside the city of Samaria to carry the good tidings, there's bread for everybody, that the king of Israel didn't even believe the message. It sounded too good to be true. Oh, he said, it can't be that way. I, it, it, it couldn't be. You mean we're starving to death? We're eating doves, dung, and women eating their own children, and right across the hill there's plenty for everybody? Oh, yeah, that's a true message. It's yours for the taking. It's free. The king said, no, it can't be true. I know what's happened. The king of Syria and the soldiers have left their tents, and they're hiding out in the bushes. And as soon as we leave our city to go up and get the food, they're going to enter into our city and take our city over. I can't believe the message. You know something? It is not my responsibility to make men believe the message. But it's my responsibility to make dead sure that I give them a good, clear message. If they say, I don't believe it and choose to go to hell, that's their business. I used to say to our congregation, it's not our job to win souls to Christ. It's our job to show people how to get saved. If they don't get saved, that's their business. But if we don't show them how to get saved, then we're going to answer the God of the judgment seat of Christ. It's going to be shocking. In judgment, to find some little washerwoman lived across the tracks, didn't have enough teeth in her mouth to chew her food. And she led five or six to Christ every week of her life. And look at some of us who've had great opportunities. You had great churches and great education and everything else, and we haven't led one to Christ a month. Dear man sitting here tonight made a trip over to Charlotte today, and he was anxious to tell me as soon as he got back, said, I led two souls to Christ today while I went to Charlotte. Told me where one was, where the other was, and I, I wanted to have an old-fashioned Nazarene Pentecostal Baptist slobbering run into it when he told me about it. I thought, what if everybody who attended this conference led two souls to Christ today? What a mighty revival would set off right here in this auditorium tonight. It'd be on. Wouldn't need anything else. It'd be on. If everybody led two souls to Christ, you'd be revived. You can't lead a man to Christ without getting happy about it. Some of you haven't smiled. You've had no joy in 40 years. Your face is so long, you can throw it out the window and use it for a fire escape. Look like you've been winged on dill pickle juice. Had wild persimmons for breakfast. I know you're not leading people to Christ. I don't have to ask you. I know you're not. Because Psalm 126, verse 6, said, He that goeth forth with weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with what? Rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. When I see a long, sad Christian that never smiles and has no joy, I know he's not leading souls to Christ. Because every time you lead a soul to Christ, you come back rejoicing, bringing cheese with you. That's the Bible. If you don't like it, tear it out. I know it's true. They had an unbelievable message. The most frustrating thing in my life is preaching the gospel. Not preaching it, but having to, having to uh, cope with the response of those who hear the message. I see 30 raise their hand, they don't know they're going to heaven, and five will come down the aisle to get saved, and 25 walk out lost. 
I rushed to the back door and I corner some of those who raise their hand but won't trust Christ. I say, why won't you trust Christ? And they say, it's too easy. It's too simple. You mean all I do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm saved. I go to heaven. I live forever. I walk around golden streets just for believing on the Lord Jesus? Yes, that's what the Bible says. It's too easy. I can't believe it. And don't get angry, but some of us fundamentalists don't believe it either. So we add something to it. Like if you don't make Jesus Lord of your life, you're not saved. Like if you didn't do this, you didn't get saved. Or if you didn't do that, you're not really saved. Now you've got to help me. I've never been to college or seminary, and I don't know the difference between being saved and really saved. I just thought you were saved or lost. That's like saying that in that casket's dead over there. And this old boy in this box, he's really dead over here. He's really dead. And this boy in his third box, hallelujah, he's got an old-fashioned case of death on him. Glory to God. He's got maggots in his eyeballs. Hallelujah, he's got it. They're all three in the same shape, dead. There's no such thing as dead, deader, and deadest, though I'm not convinced when I look at some congregations. So they don't believe it. I'm not responsible for making them believe it. I'm responsible for telling them. Let me ask you something and you answer. Don't raise your hand. Have you told everybody in your family about Jesus? Well, you say, they've gone to church. I know they know how to be saved. How do you know? I went to church years. I never knew how to be saved. My preacher said, you must be born again, but he never told me how to be born again. My preacher even said, Jesus died for you so that you could go to heaven. But I, didn't, I couldn't figure out how a man dying could get me to heaven. I knew nothing about the substitutionary death of Jesus. That wasn't explained to me. How do you know your daddy knows how to go to heaven? How do you know your mother knows how to go to heaven? How do you know your brother and sister know how to go to heaven? What about that neighbor you pass every Sunday morning? You've been passing her house 25 years going to your fundamental church. You've never told her how to get saved. She may die and go to hell next door to you, a fundamental Christian. Or you say, I'm afraid I'll drive her further from God. How can you drive her any further? She's lost. You can't be more lost than lost. The Bible said, faith cometh by hearing. didn't say you run them off by hearing, that faith comes by hearing. But she hadn't heard anything because you haven't said anything. These messengers had an unbelievable message. It is an unbelievable message. It's the most wonderful message I ever heard. I love it. In fact, I get so excited about it, I can have a fit sometimes thinking about it. I love the message. But I, I, I hasten to say these were unlikely messengers. I've never seen a more unlikely prospect to win souls than these four lepers. An ear missing. A hole in his cheek. A hand missing, and maybe some old putrefaction running out of the sores on his body. If anybody had an excuse not to go tell folks where food was, it was these lepers. Well, they could have said, look at us. If we tell them about food, it'll turn their stomachs. They'll lose their appetite. We're unlikely prospects. If they were not excused from sharing the good news that there's food, nobody has to die. And I, I say to you tonight, nobody in this room is excused. You say, I'm old. Can you talk? Get your wheelchair and get going.
You say, I'm crippled, get your crutches and get moving. You say, I'm forgetful, stay there, you remember what you want to say. You say, I'm not a good speaker, then tell it in any way you can tell it whether you're a good speaker or not. Suppose your child is about to walk in front of an automobile, and your husband says, you better holler at Bobby, he's going to run in front of the car, and you say, well, I'm not a good speaker. You, you wouldn't even give any thought to how well you spoke. Without any hesitation, you'd scream to the top of your voice, Bobby, look out, there comes the car, watch it, son, don't get in front of the car, watch it! And if somebody laughed at the way you told Bobby how to get out in front of the car, you wouldn't care if they laughed. Men are going to hell. They're not running in front of automobiles. Men are going to hell. Burning hell. They went to hell all over Greenville today while we sat here. Men are going to hell to burn forever and ever, and we're sitting silently by, eating on the bread of life, enjoying eternal life, know where it is and how to get it, and saying, well, we can't tell nobody we're not good speakers. Or I don't have a good personality. If, if you're so timid, you can't talk right on a piece of paper and hand it to him, ask him to read it. Or hold a sign up and turn your back and say, read that while I look out in the street. But for God's sakes, tell them where the bread is so they don't die and go to hell without Jesus Christ. They were unlikely messengers. I hasten to say they were untrained messengers. They had never been to Bob Jones University. Tennessee Temple, Hiles Anderson. They never had a course in pastoral theology or homiletics or hermeneutics or grits, either one. They didn't know what extra Jesus was, but they knew where the bread was. The only qualification they had for telling the news was that they had experienced the bounty. We have eaten the bread, we know where the food is. If you have tasted Jesus Christ, if you've eaten the bread of life, that's all the qualification you need to tell the story. Now, I'm not saying drop out of school, but I'm saying right now that everybody here, whether you be a housewife or a farmer or a truck driver or what, don't let people go to hell because you don't have an education. Tell folks how to get saved. In my church in Atlanta, I found the less education they had, the better soul winners they made. The people who were so highly educated spoke over their heads. Knew such terminology that the poor street man didn't know what he's talking about. When you shoot over a man's head, it doesn't prove you have superior ammunition, it proves you have bad aim. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, Truth's most becoming garments of simplicity. He's right about it. Tell them in your own words how to get saved. You don't have to memorize a record or a book. Tell them in your own words how to get saved. They're waiting. They're starving. They're going to hell if we don't tell them. These messengers had an unbelievable message. They were untrained messengers. They were unlearned messengers. They were unlikely messengers. May I hasten to say a word about their message? Their message was one of food in the midst of famine. Hungry people, there's food. Listen to me, please listen to me. The world is spiritually hungry. I think I speak from experience in my travels. In Atlanta, they told me Atlanta was gospel-hardened. But I learned Atlanta was more gospel-ignorant than gospel-hardened. And I found many precious souls waiting to hear the gospel. Now through my mind flashes picture after picture, visit after visit, and home after home. 
Or after a few minutes conversation, I said, may I take the Bible and show you how to be saved? And a wonderful gentleman said, you certainly may. I asked his wife to sit next to him while I opened the Bible, and they looked like little children, and hung on every word I uttered. When I explained the way of salvation, he said, now, will you trust the Savior? He said, yes, I will. His wife said, yes, I will. I said, let's pray together. We bowed our heads, and I said, if you mean it, pray with me and tell the Lord you're trusting. I heard voice after voice, pray and trust Jesus Christ. I am not bragging, but I'm here to tell you that there's never a week passed in Forest Hills Baptist Church. There wasn't somebody walked down the aisle of John Church of Baptism that I led to Christ myself during the week. Not counting what the others had won. I've had as many as 39 join the church on Sunday for baptism. I won to Christ myself, not counting what the others had won. Oh, there were some hard cases where people had gone out and muddied the gospel and given such a, a sorry picture of salvation that it was confused as a termite and a yo-yo and you couldn't hardly help them. But most of them were willing. I, I, I've been taken by preachers to what they thought was the hardest case in their town. I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, and a guy said, I want you to go this afternoon with me to visit a fellow. I said, all right. And so he came to pick me up, and off we went. He said, I should tell you before I go, I've taken every preacher that ever came here to see this man. He said, I should tell you that he's cussed everybody out and run them all. and threatened to kill some of them. But he said, I thought if anybody could win him, you could. And I felt like socking him in the mouth in Christian love. He kept driving and said, the man is in the Guinness World Book of Records. Well, I said, pray tell, what did he do to get in the book of records? He said he's in the Guinness World Book of Records being locked up for being drunk more than any man in the world. His name is Snake Miles. Snake. I'm going to see a snake. I thought, I'll never lead this man to Christ, but if you insist, we'll go. And he took me around behind the building up under some old steep stairs into a little room that you wouldn't even live in. And there was Snake smoking a cigarette. He wouldn't look at me when I first started talking. And I just talked soft. He said, Snake, when's the last time anybody told you they loved you? Well, he said, I don't remember. Maybe my mother told me years ago, I don't remember. I said, look up here, Snake, look at me. He looked up, I put my hand, I said, shake hands with me. I said, Snake, I love you. I don't know you, but I love you. I love you because Jesus loves you. And whoever Jesus loves, I love. If Jesus loves you more than I do, Snake, and I begin to give the plan of salvation. I open the Bible, just begin to give the plan of salvation. In a little while, Snake trusted Christ to save I sent him a copy of the Soul of the Lord. He still gets it and reads it. We rushed off to town. The fellow who took me bought a big Bible, brand new Bible, took it back to Snake. Last time I heard him, the fellow bought the Bible said, he's reading the Bible. Enjoying the sword. Did he get in church? I don't know. He may never get into church. Did he get baptized? I don't know. I wish he had gotten in church and got baptized. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, I'd rather him go to heaven dry clean than to go to hell. Maybe he missed a bad retreat, but if he, if he got under the blood, he'll make it in. Snake! Drunkard! In the book of records of being locked up and being drunk more than anybody in the world. There I found there waiting, and we're sitting here with the bread, and we're not telling folks about it. What are we going to tell Jesus Christ? Their message was one of food in the midst of famine. Let me tell you something. People are hungry. 
Do you ever study the various religions and see how many young people are adopting Eastern pagan religions? You know how the press has helped the Catholic Church by promoting the Pope the way they have? And I, I, it makes me angry, I, I'll be honest, when I see my tax dollars going to support his trip over here. $25 million in security for the Pope. Dresses up like Mama and they call him Papa. They claim, they claim Peter was their first Pope. Then they say the Pope can't get married. And I read in the Bible where Peter's wife, mother, lay sick of a fever. Dr. Malone said a man's so dumb he'll get a mother and all that getting a wife's too dumb to be a Pope. <laughs> and you know why they're going to these Mormon churches and all other kind of false religions? Because we're not giving them the bread of life. They're hungry. Hungry people are going to eat something. Hungry people are going to eat something. You know why they ate that dove's dung? There was nothing else to eat. You know why men are eating the dove's dung of Catholicism and Mormonism and uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists, and pardon me, and Christian scientists, which is neither Christian nor scientific? They're like grape nuts, neither grapes nor nuts. Nearer nuts than they are grapes. You know why they're swallowing that up and running into those religions? We're sitting on the bread of life. We have the, we have the only thing fit to eat and we won't tell anybody about it. Then we cuss because they go and join some foreign religion somewhere. It's our fault. It's our fault. Cults only succeed in the same degree that we fail. And you can measure your failure by their success. And you get to them with Jesus Christ, they'll leave those pagan religions. But they're hungry. It was a message of food in the midst of famine. I must hurry. I don't know why, but I must. It was a message of uh, peace in the midst of war. No more fighting. This enemy's gone. Dr. Bob mentioned earlier the blood of Christ. He has made peace with us. Through the blood of his cross. When a man comes to Jesus Christ, God sees that man then as an ally, not an enemy. He sees him as a friend and not a foe. Until a man comes to Jesus Christ, he's an enemy of Jesus Christ. You say, but I'm not against Jesus. Jesus said, you either for me or against me. You can't be in between. If you've never trusted me as your Savior, you're my enemy, you're against me. But the message of these lepers were peace in the midst of war. No more war, peace. I would not trade the peace I have in my heart tonight for ten million worlds like A lot of things I don't have, but I have peace. I lay down tonight, I press my pillow, I can lay my hands back and look up toward the ceiling and say, Hallelujah, if I die, I'm going to heaven. I got peace. It's a peace you can't buy. Rich people don't have it necessarily because they have money. Sad thing is, the more money you get, the more worries you have. You gotta worry about your money then. I never have seen a group of millionaires walking down the street saying, I'm satisfied with money. But I have seen a bunch of silly looking folks walk down the street saying, I'm satisfied with Jesus. Yeah? Happiest people I met were poor people. Didn't have anything. So they didn't have anything to lose when depression came. Some folks never knew when the depression came when it left. They was in depression before it got here. They're happy. 
The message was light. Their message was, was food in the midst of famine. Their message was peace in the midst of war. But their message was life in the midst of death. Listen up, Samaritans. Listen up. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. All of you, listen. Wait a minute. Don't kill any more children. Don't buy that dove's dung. Wait a minute. Set the jar down. Lay that ass's head down. We got a whole donkey out yonder. Throw that ass's head down. You can have the whole donkey. Need his rear end if you want to, and both hind legs. Make some donkey tail soup. Throw that nozzle down up there. Wait a minute. Hold on. Wait a minute. Don't kill you, boy. There's something else to eat. And we ought to be leaving this conference saying, wait a minute, world. Wait a minute, well, hold it, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't go to hell. Don't swallow Islamism and the Mohammedism and all other kind of isms. Quit eating that dull dung of Catholicism. Spit that stuff out. Set the jar down. We got the bread of life. What we have, you eat this, you don't ever get hungry again. You drink this water along with it, you never thirst again. What do you think of those lepers? I think they're dirty, rotten, sorry, low-down scandals. They enjoy what they had and not tell others about it and let them starve to death. You know what I think of us, me included, as well as I know the gospel? If I let my neighbors die and go to hell, riding in out of my driveway... If I let my family go to hell, I'm not bragging about I led my mother-in-law to Christ, I led my dad-in-law to Christ, I led my brother-in-law to Christ. Every one of my family is saved. Tom Malone told the story. I don't take his thunder. He may want to use it. Of how he left a meeting and went all the way to Texas to tell his daddy about Jesus. His daddy got saved. What's Jesus going to think of us if we let our mother and daddy die and go to hell and our friends and our neighbors? Not a person here couldn't win a soul a day to Christ if he worked at it. Sad thing is we don't have preachers winning a soul a week to Christ. Well, last year in the Southern Baptist Convention, out of 30, nearly 37, well, a little over 37,000 churches now. Over 7,000 Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches, had not one baptism. Not one. You know what I think? I think those 7,000 preachers ought to resign and get out of the ministry and start making an honest living. They're dishonest crooks taking money under false pretense. A car salesman who worked a year and didn't sell one car wouldn't be on the job. An insurance salesman sold insurance, didn't sell one policy in a year, wouldn't stay on the job six weeks, let alone a year. And you're taking a salary from a church, and all you do is conduct a funeral every once in a while on the wedding. Slap people on the back and shake hands with them. Never leave a soul to Jesus Christ. You're not fulfilling your purpose as a preacher. What will our answer be? What shall we say when Jesus beckons us home? What if he called tonight and we all went up? The judgment seat, he said, well, Curtis, you're first in line. Let's talk about it. I'm talking about your service now. I took care of your sins at Calvary. Jesus died for your sins. We'll talk about your service, Curtis. Let's talk about last week. What did you do for me last week? 
Well, Lord, I was busy getting that conference ready and felt so much pressure and burden about that. I, I, I did preach at Dr. Seitler Church on Sunday. We had one saved Sunday night, and we had 20 or 30 come Sunday morning for baptism or church membership. What about the guy at the service station was so friendly to you that you felt like witnessing to, but you somehow felt you didn't have time, rushed off and left him, and didn't give him a track. What about that guy? Well, Lord, I, I should have taken care of that. What about the maid knocked on your door this morning? Wanted to come and get the sheets off the bed. You tell her about me? Well, no, she looked like she was in a hurry. In that big a hurry? Well, no, not that big a hurry. Be a sad thing for us. And you're going to face God at the judgment seat, every believer is. Not to answer for sin, but to answer for service. For little is given, little is required, or much is given, much is required. And I don't know of a, of a group in the world that's more responsible than this group. If I didn't want to be a soul winner and didn't want to get people saved, I, I wouldn't want to live in America. I wouldn't want to be on this campus. I won't be a member of any of your churches. I don't live in some pagan country where there are no Bibles and nobody talks about Jesus, so at least I have some kind of excuse. Let's stand together, heads bowed, eyes closed. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.